Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. We are now in week number four of a series that we are calling Uphill Habits. Uh, We've been having this conversation all month long because the Lord is requiring more of us. He has declared that for this house and for these people that 2023 is the year of cultivation. And cultivation isn't always a pretty process. Cultivation requires us to examine our current state, our current situation, and our current affairs and to make necessary adjustments for new growth. Somebody say new growth because the growth and the fruit that you manifested in seasons past is no longer what God is requiring of you in this upcoming season. So I know you had some wins. I know you've done some mighty things, have a few accomplishments in times past, but no matter how fruitful you think you may have already been for the kingdom of God, he is requiring more. And so that's why we pushed into this new year talking about uphill habits. Because here's the thesis of what we've been talking about all month. Most people have uphill hopes, but downhill habits. They're looking to the Lord to do X, Y, and Z. They're looking to the Lord to change certain things within them. They're looking to the Lord to change certain situations around them, but their habits don't match their hopes. And so what we have to understand that hope is not a strategy for change. Hope is a great motivator for change, but hope by itself is not a strategy. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to do something different. If you want something different, you are going to have to do something different. And so it starts with us, in other words. Because here's why we're talking about habits, because what we repeatedly do, that's who we are. The things that you do on a regular basis, that's you. So that's why you have to look at what you're doing on a regular basis. Because it's what you're doing on a regular basis leading you to who God called you to be or leading you away. A lot of people say, that they are pursuing excellence. They're excellent at this or want to be excellent at that. But you got to understand that excellence isn't random. Excellence doesn't happen accidentally. Excellence is not an act, but it's our habits. If we want excellence, it's got to show up in our habits first. And so that's why we're having this conversation because Everybody's familiar with every time a new year starts, we have what we call New Year's resolutions. We come in, we're going to lose weight, we're going to read more scripture, we're going to pray more, we're going to do all types of wonderful things. But the problem with most of us is we try to do all these wonderful things in our own strength. We don't ask God into the change, we don't ask God into the modifications and the adjustments that we're trying to make. We try to do it on our own. And you know what? Sometimes it works. If you go to the gym enough times, you're going to see change in your physical being. But you can't go to the distance that God wants you to go unless you take him with you. 
And so that's why we've been talking about certain types of habits all month, because what God wants for you in this 20 and 23 is what Romans 12 and 2 says. He wants you to fix your attention on him. Romans 12 and 2 starts with that powerful sentence in the message version. Fix your attention on God. There's so much buying to take your attention off of him. It could be responsibilities at work or in family life. It could be grief, pain, hurt, emotions going all over the place, all in an effort for you to unfix your attention on God. But what Paul is inviting us to do in this book, in this chapter of Romans, is to have a fixation on God. When you're fixed on something, you don't let the external circumstances around you move your attention to the left or the right. But you got to understand the purpose, though. It's important that we don't just stop with the effort behind trying to fix our attention on God. You got to know what the outcome will be if you do so. The verse goes on to say you'll be changed from the inside out. A lot of us are trying to change from the outside in, but it doesn't work like that. It doesn't last like that. If you want the type of change that will catapult you to new levels and new heights and new depths in the Lord, it's got to be done from the inside out. And also, it will readily help you to readily recognize what he wants from you. You don't have to be clueless about what God is requiring of you. You can ask him. He will answer but it comes when you have that fixation on God. When you don't let life, even though life be lifing, to deter your fixation on God. Because our Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And in that declaration is all the ups and downs of life that will come yesterday, today, and forevermore. But he's still the same. So if he's still the same, that means that he's good all the time. Even when things don't feel good, even when we don't feel good, even when things don't look good, God is good. That's why we have to have our fixation on God. Despite what's going on in the world, despite what's going on in our world, we have to have a fixation on God. Something else will happen. It says that God brings out the best in you. Wait a minute. You first have to admit that you haven't seen the best of you yet in order to receive this word. This word says if you fix your attention on God, one of the results is that he will bring the best out of you. I don't know about you, but I desire for God's best to come. Not my best, not my family line's best. I want God's best to come from my life. The last thing is he'll develop a well-informed maturity in you. Now, this is tough because you have to admit that you're immature with your plaques on the wall. (laughs) You have to have enough, here's a a cuss word in church, humility (laughs) to recognize that you ain't made it yet. You aren't fully you yet. You're not who God called you to be yet. You haven't fulfilled your purpose or your destiny yet. But when you fix your attention on God, he's saying that he'll bring out a new level of maturity in you. Is that anybody's desire for this to be the year that 
that God's best comes, that, that I become more mature in him. Remember, we said last week or a couple weeks ago, we pulled out of the word where uh, uh, God said that 2023 was the year that you're going to find him. Some of you think you found him, but you found your gift. May have even found your assignment. Maybe you found a calling, but have you found him? Because you can't accomplish any of those things to the fullness without him. So let this be the year you find him. And that's why we're pushing. We're being real pushy in this first series because God's requiring. I can't speak for the capital C church. I can only speak what he told me about this one. And there's a requirement. There's a cultivation coming for each and every one of us. And so we've been talking habits. And so the first habit that we shared was that you have to focus on what I do first. There's power in the priority where your money goes first, where your thoughts go first, where your energy goes first matters to God. And so you have to make the effort to focus on what you do first. Where are you putting your priority? Because God doesn't share the number one spot. He's either got it or he doesn't. He don't do silver medals. And so it's up to us to make sure that God has a priority in every corner, every area of our lives. And then focus on number two, the habit was to control my thoughts. That's the devil's playground. He loves to get in your head and misdirect the things that God is trying to get you to do by the way that you think about it. And what we found through the word of God, that there's a lot of scripture that teaches us that we have control of our thoughts. Our thoughts don't control us. Our thoughts don't have to be random, but we can, as the word says, teach our thoughts to obey God. We have to give our thoughts an education in order to get them to where they need to be. And then habit number three was to make sure, my favorite one, that my life aligns with my purpose. I'm a purpose person. I'm here on purpose to help other people find theirs. I know that for a fact. And so purpose is super meaningful to me and the call on my life. And it's got to be super important to you because without understanding who you are and why you're here, you're essentially wasting air. Because you were created not unintentionally, not accidentally, not randomly. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And if you are not on your way to your purpose, what the heck are you doing? And so you have to go on a journey with God to experience, find out, learn more about your purpose so that your habits, your actions, your thoughts, and everything you're intending to do can be in alignment with why you're here. We said it last week, and I think we need to say it again. Everybody repeat after me. I have a purpose. The devil would love for you to think that you don't. Because if you don't think that there's a purpose for you to be here, you'll wake up each and every day just doing whatever, whenever, with whoever. Because you don't understand that you have a purpose for your very existence. 
And that brings us to a passage of scripture to help us to learn more about what God wants us to do. I'll be reading from Luke, the first chapter, starting at the 39th verse. And this is about uh, the mother of our, our Savior. Her name was Mary. And she had an experience with an angel that came and told her, listen, you are going to give birth to the Savior of the world. She was a young girl, engaged. She was confused, like, how is this going to happen? How am I supposed to explain that I'm pregnant by the Spirit of God? Can you just be human for a second? Like, how do you go tell Big Mama and them, little Junebug and them, I'm pregnant, but, comma, it's not from my fiancé? Yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit came and uh, impregnated me. Think about the pressure. Especially in that society where women were super devalued. Think about the pressure that she faced. But that visitation from the angel brought her comfort. And, and she ended up, after the conversation with the angel, she said, let what, everything that you have said, let it be done. I am the Lord's servant. And then right after that is where we pick up in verse 39. This is what happened next. It said a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that my mother, that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord will do what he said. Go back to verse 41. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you from a message titled today, Friendly Fire. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and your grace. We are beyond humbled by the fact that you are so in love with us that you've come to speak a word directly to our heart. Father, I move out your way so that you can speak and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friendly fire. <laughs> when was the last time you was around some people that what God placed in you came to life? Mary didn't say nothing. Mary didn't prophesy. Mary didn't lay hands on her. She just walked in the house. Hey, cuz. And the text says that her entering and greeting Elizabeth caused Elizabeth to get the Holy Ghost. Did you miss that? She didn't preach. She didn't have three points in the clothes. She walked in and said, hey, hey cuz. 
How you been? Friendly fire. Who in our lives is helping us to come alive? Who's got a fire in them that's helping light the fire in us? Who's got a fire in them that's making sure the fire in us doesn't go out? Do we have any friendly fire in our lives right now? <laughs> or is the opposite happening? Are we around people with water buckets? Dousing every ounce of the Holy Spirit fire that came into our life. This is an important discussion. We have to survey who's in our circle. Habit number four is I have to choose my relationships carefully. This is going to be a tough one, but that's why it's called uphill habits because it's going to be difficult but doable. Difficult but doable because God is requiring more of you. Question is, are you willing to do the more that is required. I'll give you Bible for this choice that you have to make because it is a choice. In Proverbs 12 and 26, it says, the righteous choose their friends carefully. Did you know that was in your Bible? Did you know your circle matters to God? It says, choose their friends randomly. Choose their friends circumstantially. Mm -mm. You, my dear brother and sister, need to be careful with who you call friend. Why? Because the opposite is this. The way of the wicked leads them astray. So either your circle is bringing you to the cross or leading you away from it. Ain't no middle ground, according to this scripture. So what's your people in them doing for you? No, no, don't start scrolling now. We here now. We got to talk about it. It's a choice. Now we have some people in our life that we didn't get to choose, right? Biologically, there's certain relationships that we have. <laughs> but the majority of the people you talked to this week was people you chose to be in your life. Choice is powerful. It's a gift, but it's also a responsibility. <laughs> God could have said, no, these are your friends. This is your family. This is who you're going to do life with. But he left you choose. He said, this is what the righteous do. I don't know if you're righteous or not. Don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. I'm just here to teach you what the word of God says. And the word of God says, if you are righteous, if you want a journey to righteousness, you should be choosing who your friends are. When I was in the military, we had weapons that we would shoot and you can't just show up to the range, load up the magazine, put the magazine in the weapon and fire it. There's something that has to 
precede your attempts to shoot. You got to calibrate the weapon. What does that mean? It has sights on it. It's what you look through when you're aiming at something. And the weapon could be fully functional. The weapon could be totally clean. No malfunction. But if I don't calibrate that weapon, I'm going to squeeze the trigger and miss what I'm aiming at because I haven't calibrated the weapon to my eyesight. And just because the person on my left was able to hit the target, if he gives me his weapon, it's calibrated to his life. It's not calibrated to mine. So I'm going to pick up that same fully functional weapon, aim and miss. Some of you all need to recalibrate your circle because you're aiming at a purpose in life and you keep missing it because of who's around you. You're taking wisdom from fools and trying to build a life off of it and wondering why you feel so unfulfilled because you need to recalibrate what's going on in your circle and the people around you and the people that you let in. Because some people ain't even in our life, but we see them on Facebook and get sad. Some people we've never met before, but we get all our influence from them. We're trying so hard to be like them. We want what they have so bad. But should they be in your circle of influence? Is what God or the devil is doing in their life have to do with anything that God has deposited in yours? I don't know, but I know you need to Calibrate who's influencing you, who's around you in real life and on the internet that's helping you make decisions in life. So there's four, there's four like action words you need to remember as you go on this journey with God. All my note takers, just get ready. I'm going to give you four, four actions that you need to take in order to recalibrate what's going on in your, your circle. The first one is to nurture my important relationships. I need to nurture my important relationships. So that means that I need to figure out which of these relationships are important and which are the kind of non-essential. And the ones that I deem important, I need to nurture them. God had me spending some time this week in prayer for your marriages out there. Yeah. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want your marriage to work. The enemy wants your marriage to fall apart. Because you know what happens? It's a, it's a domino effect. Because a lot of people we'll look to certain couples and they become hashtag couple goals. And then when that couple falls apart, 
It slants our view of how powerful marriage is. And so the enemy loves to come in between spouses and cause discord and disunity and disaster. 3D, that was cool, right? <laughs> he loves to tear marriages apart. And so he had me spending time in my prayer time praying for every marriage, the one that I'm in and all the marriages connected to me. That's how he instructed me. It's important for you all that are married that you understand that your most important relationship is your spouse. You have to nurture those relationships that are important to you. <clears throat> Date night. The wife should have said amen right there. Trying to, I'm here to help. You can't let life take you away from the thing that brought you together. Thank you, Felicia. <laughs> it's important that you're putting effort into your relationships that are important to you. Because the enemy's putting effort into tearing your important relationships apart from you. It's important that you prioritize your important relationships and the nourishment that it needs. Because good marriages don't happen accidentally. Good relationships don't come randomly. They're nurtured. Listen, I am married to Jesus's little cousin. I am. She grew up on the winings and little house on the prairie. That's it. But as angelic as she is, and that's not easy being married to Jesus' little cousin, by the way. It's pretty difficult. Because everything I do just looks way bigger. But it takes effort. I, as her husband, have to put effort into nurturing this relationship if I deem it important. Our marriage won't survive without nurturing. Hello? Your marriage won't survive without nurturing. So one, you got to understand that person, right? One of the most famous marriage books of all time is the five love languages. And so people show love in different ways. I'm a physical touch guy. She's an acts of service slash quality time person. So I can't just be touching on her <laughs> and think that she re receives love in that way. Now, she's free to touch on me, but I have to give love in a way that she receives. That's nourishing. Me just grabbing on her and touching her isn't nurturing anything because that's not her love language. It's mine. She's very nice to touch on, but that's not, that's not her love language. So that's not nurture. Nurture. <laughs> who, who is that you're married to? 
How do they receive love? What does nurture look like to them? How important is that relationship? How important is the health and the longevity of that relationship? If it's of the utmost importance that it should be, then you have to put in the effort that it takes to nurture it, to make it better, to make it stronger. Even if you started off great, doesn't mean that you will continue to be great if you're not paying attention to what's going on because who you married is not necessarily who you're sitting next to right now because we all grow, develop, change, outlooks, things that we like, things evolve. And so it's a constant nurturing of our important relationships. When we set out to do this thing called All Nations Aurora, we had to have each other's back the whole way. And sometimes that looked like 50-50, sometimes it looked like 60-40, 70-30-20. But because of our bond and our connection, we've been able to navigate the ups and downs. We salute my wife because she hasn't missed one Sunday since her mother passed away. She shows up every single Sunday and loves on people and pastors people to their face and through text message and through every kind of way. She does all the stuff that I don't want to do. I just get up here and talk. But we got this assignment together and this looked different along the way, but an attentive spouse can pick up slack when one falls. When the energy is low on one end, the energy can be high on the other, but that only comes if, I, if, if you're paying attention. You can't just have one conversation and take off running into your destiny. Things can change, things can alter. And that's why there has to be this constant nurturing looking out for each other, having each other's back, making sure that we are on the same page, pushing in the same direction. All the singles are mad, so let me talk to you. You have to look at those people that are important to you on your journey. That could be a mentor. That could be a sister. It could be a therapist, a counselor, or just a real good friend. If they are important, Take the time to nurture that relationship. What does that look like to that person? Again, it comes from observation. It comes from intentionality. If you want that friendship, that mentorship to last and have longevity, you gotta massage it. Put some effort into it. Water it so it doesn't get dry, but what you have to understand through all of this conversation is that it starts with you. You're waiting to be nurtured. That's your problem. You're waiting on them to make the first move. That's your problem. You have to nurture it yourself. Let's go to the Bible. First Peter four and seven says the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. It told you to go and show deep love. Have you? To these people that are important to you. 
Now you got to realize who's important. The people that are in your life that you know God put there. You're married to them. You're dating them. You're being counseled by them. You're being mentored by them. Put the effort in to show deep love. Now, did you, did you see the word deep? Not shallow surface. You are supposed to show deep love to those important relationships. But what happens is we're in a world that's super divided. Can we be honest? 2020 bought out the knives. Since we was all at the crib, bored, people's true colors started showing online. And I got like, wait, what? And we started having these dividing lines politically. We started having these dividing lines religiously. Oh, you like such and such? Well, I don't like such and such, so I don't like you either. Oh, you a Republican? Nah. Oh, you a Democrat? Nah. Oh, you didn't put the little black social media screen on your... Nah. Can't mess with you no more. We and our society are more divided than we have ever been. And we're comfortable with it. It's become our new normal, unfortunately. That's not godly. <laughs> That's not what God intended. When Jesus came to this earth, he went to the very people that society called outcasts. Sat with them so that they can become who they were supposed to be. Imagine if Jesus came and just said, I'm only going to deal with, I'm only going to shed my blood for it. I'm only going to leave my throne for the Jews. Are any of y'all Jewish? Let me look. It might be. I don't know. Anybody Jewish? So imagine if your savior came and sat on one side of a dividing line. But he didn't. For God so loved who? If God so loved the world, why don't you? They got to go to your church, your specific denomination, believe what you believe in order for you to love them. Wow. I was talking to an author and speaker by the name of Carlos Whitaker, and he said something powerful in the interview that I had with him. He said he learned to put within himself this thought, don't stand on issues, but walk with people. Hey, Christian, don't stand on an issue. You can have an opinion, you can have a thought, but don't stand there to the point that you miss the chance to walk with people because somebody walked with you. Somebody, somebody was a great example for you. Somebody shared the good news with you. Somebody prayed for you when you couldn't you wouldn't pray for yourself. So as Christians, we got to be able to love people, which leads me to my second, which is you have to restore broken relationships. It's going to get a little tight. 
You have to restore your broken relationships. Why? Because it's biblical. I mean, I don't know other way to tell you. Romans 12, 17. Never pay back evil for evil. Hello. Never. Wait, but you don't know what they did. You're right. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Does that mean that every single situation, every time I've been hurt, that I have to go back and restore it? No, it says do all that you can. You can't do it all. Everything isn't your responsibility, but do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all you can. Can you honestly say you've done all you can? Should I give you more Bible? Because I know this one hurts. Colossians 3 and 13 says, make allowance for others' faults, but you don't know what they did. I know. But God says still put it in your emotional budget. Make allowance for others' faults and forgive anyone who offends you but you don't know what they did. Well, it says, remember, the Lord forgave you. You know what you did. Remember, the Lord forgave you. Uh-oh, mirror time. Remember, the Lord forgave you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must. Did you see that word? So you must forgive others. You got to understand how powerful unforgiveness is. Unforgiveness is a, is a, is a one-way ticket to hell, by the way. That's what your Bible says. I know y'all like to attach to say lust. <laughs> yeah. In that same list. Unforgiveness. Allowing yourself to walk in unforgiveness is like lighting yourself on fire and hoping the other person dies of smoke inhalation. You got to understand that your unforgiveness is only hurting you. Unforgiveness is for you. It really has nothing to do with them. It's the elimination of weight off of your life. When you decide to forgive. Forgiveness is not pretending that the hurt didn't happen. Forgiveness is casting your cares and your burdens to the Lord and moving forward with him. Hello, moving forward with him. It has nothing to do with them and everything to do with you. The Lord forgave you. He wants you 
to forgive them. Why? Because he has a plan for you. Unforgiveness doesn't even require their receiving of the forgiveness. If God is telling you to forgive, he's just telling you to forgive and move forward. He's not telling you to forgive and sit there to see if they accept it. Don't matter. You know what he's looking for? Obedience. Because obedience better than sacrifice. I know y'all ready to go, but we're not done. This is an uphill habit. You got to lean into it. But there's something that God has for you on the other side of it. That's what you got to understand. Remember, fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God. Do what he's asking you to do because there's a reason he's asking you to do it. And it's for your good. Point to yourself and say, it's for my good. So after I nurture my important relationships and after I restore my broken relationship, this is the one that's going to hurt the most. I got to sever any harmful relationships. Yeah. My notes say they will be quiet on this one. You have to sever harmful relationship. Some of us have been dysfunctional so long that we think dysfunctional is normal. We've been in toxic relationships so long we don't know what it's like to be in a non-toxic relationship because we normalized it. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. There's some fools in your life. And you know what them fools is helping you do? Look like a fool yourself. That's what the Bible says. Don't. So what should you do? It's right there at the beginning. Walk with the wise. Part of walking with wise people is moving away from fools. You got to prune your friends list in your phone. You got to prune your friends list on Facebook. Ah, I love that silence. <laughs> I had to do it. I was, up, I was like people that I once respected, once was cool with, all they ever posted was negativity and it was draining. You feel it. Stop acting like you don't. Your whole timeline judgmental and you don't realize that you are too. Because you are what you eat. It's friendly fire. But, but the thing is, like if you have a demonic fire and you get next to some more demonic fire, That's why you burning with lust. Because your circle burning with lust. Why you burning with fear? Because you're around a bunch of scary people that ain't got no faith. <laughs> what type of fire is your circle lighting in you? 
friendly fire, foolish fire. Which one? Are they pulling you to the cross? Are they holding you when you fall and pointing you to Jesus? Or are they pointing you to selfish ambition, greed, judgmental? What is your friend list doing for you currently? Are they cultivating any, I mean, one fruit of the spirit in your life? One. Joy? Are they helping you have some self-control? Are they bringing any peace, anything? Anything Christ-like? Or is everybody recycling the same gossip? I better move on. Don't be, don't be deceived, 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good moral. See, that's the one mom and them used to use on us growing up. You know, you know what the Bible says? Every parent knows this verse. Bad company corrupts good morals. Yes, we're supposed to be a light in dark place. Yes, we're supposed to be the salt in the earth, but we're not supposed to be so close that we get corrupted. Mm. You're not that evangelistic. That's your flesh attaching to theirs. That's why it's harmful. And that's why you have to sever the relationship. Sever means to totally disconnect, just for clarity. It's not, I'm gonna talk to him a little less. God's requiring you to pull out the scissors. Because they are not a part of your destiny. I'm not talking to you, spouses. Don't be like Pastor Tyler said, it's time for you to go. It's not what Pastor Tyler said. But there are some harmful relationships in your life that you need to let go. There are some people you need to block. There are some people you need to unfriend with your quiet self. This is the year of cultivation and he's coming for your community because your community matters. So after you take the time to nurture your important relationships and restore your broken relationships and sever any harmful relationships, you need to initiate some meaningful relationships. All y'all love to say that you are introverted. Stop lying and get you some friends. I am sick of it. Stop it. It's not biblical to do life alone. It's not biblical to do life in isolation. 
leaves you vulnerable. Hebrews 10 and 25 said, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Another version says that some people make a habit of, but encourage one another. How are you going to encourage anybody? How anybody going to encourage you if you just had the crib in the corner crying by yourself? The devil loves you there. Because then he can get inside your head and tell you some narratives that ain't true, but because there's nobody there to talk it through with, sounds real good, kind of makes sense. Everybody does hate me. Not true. Not true. But how will you know? If you don't take the time to initiate some meaningful relationship. You've been talking about getting friends and mentors for the longest. Ain't made one step toward it. Oh, I know what's going on. You're praying that somehow supernaturally by the leading of the Holy Ghost through a powerful prophetic word that somebody going to walk up to you and say hi. That's dumb. Here's a thought, powerful, powerful thought that I have. Why don't you say hi? Hmm. Some of y'all sprint in here and sprint out every Sunday. Saying, Lord, man, I just need... Maybe you should initiate some meaningful relationship. If you're void of some really solid friendships, if you're void of really solid mentorship, maybe you should say hi. Maybe you should introduce yourself. Maybe you should take a chance and be vulnerable with somebody. It's your life. Your walk. Why don't you initiate? That's a powerful word. Initiate in the natural realm. Don't, don't go pray in the Holy Ghost and hope that it. No, that's not initiation. Initiation walking up to somebody. Say hi. My name is such and such. And I'm a little crazy. But I'm trying to be less crazy. Would you like to help me be less crazy? In Jesus' name. It's that easy. <laughs> so how do we, how do we, okay, how do we, how do we make this happen? How do we, how do we get this habit in action, in motion? How do we push this habit into our life? Well, it's going to take some development of some key relationships. I'm going to give you four and then we're out. We're gone. There are four relationships that you need to develop. You need to develop. You, not your passer. You need to develop. Number one is you need to develop my relationship with my church. You need to say that to yourself. Write it down in first person. I need to develop my relationship with my church. Some of y'all need a my church. It don't have to be this church. It'd be great if it is. But some of y'all need to develop a my church. You've got to stop being a spiritual vagabond. 
You got to plug in somewhere. You got to call someplace my church. This is my church. You got to take ownership of your journey. And it starts with you taking the ownership in my church, whatever church that is. Ownership shifts your paradigm. When you say this is my church, you are taking up residence. You go from being an attender to a member. Then there's power in that, that ownership. Ephesians 2 and 19 in the Amplified says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, outsiders with rights of citizenship, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. That's us, God's people and are members of God's household. You need a church that's yours. The ecclesia is a powerful tool for God to help cultivate his spirit inside of you. You can't just visit your whole life. Now, listen, some people are attenders here and that's perfectly fine. You can come, you can attend. You don't have to be on a team, none of that. But you can't stay there. You can't be there forever. At some point, you're going to have to show God that you're committed to this journey that he has you on. It ain't even about me or, or my wife. It's about you and your relationship with God and you finding a place that's yours. Again, it doesn't have to be this church, but there has to be a church that you declare is my church. But developing that relationship is your responsibility and yours alone. Second, I got to develop my relationship with godly friends. Everybody can't be on their way to hell around you. Not everybody. Somebody besides you got to have the Holy Ghost in your circle because you ain't that safe. You need people in your life that will help you on this walk with the Lord. Ecclesiastic, excuse me, Acts 2 and 44 says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had they realized they were better together. They realized that there was power in doing life with other like-minded believers. They knew it was better to walk with people that were on the journey that they were on instead of walking with people who are headed in the opposite direction. You need some godly friends. Some of y'all got no friends. By choice. <laughs> because you think, you know, people just don't get me. They don't get you because you are hiding. They don't get you because you prefer isolation. You're selfish. Because you're only thinking about you, but you don't realize that you're actually hurting you. That's why we have life groups. 
You're going to continue to hear about life groups and you're going to have to make the decision to do what Acts says. All the believers met together and shared everything they had. It's a biblical model that we have at this church because just like in Acts, they met together collectively, but the real ministry, the Bible says, was house to house. They met together for weekly gatherings, but throughout the week, they met house to house. They was all trying to figure this thing out together. So all you do is watch the Real Housewives of filling the blank in Sports Center on the couch with your remote. I got to get the guys in there, ladies. I had to make it even. Show isolated self. Get you some godly friends. <laughs> the third relationship is this, develop my relationship with the team. With the team. Ecclesiastes 4, 8, and 9. This is the case of a man who was all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. He getting it done. He getting that bread. The bank account's blowing up, but he's doing it in isolation. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It all, it is all so meaningless and depressing. Some of y'all are so used to the feeling of meaninglessness and depression that you have normalized that dysfunction in your life. Because you've been doing it for so long. You've been by yourself so long, calling yourself self-made for so long. And you're depressed. It all feels meaningless. Why? Because two people are better off than one. Do you believe the Bible? Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Two people are better than one. I'm trying to get into all you people, lift your face up from that phone and get it in your spirit. Mr. and Mrs. Introvert. Two people are better than one but they can help each other succeed. You want to succeed, you need godly friends. You need to have a team of people around you that can help you succeed. God didn't create you to attempt to succeed alone. So if that's not God's blueprint, whose blueprint is it? Say loud. This is the last one. We're going to go home. I need to develop my relationship with God. I need to develop my relationship with God. Yes, 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 yes. All, all of this conversation has been centered around people super imperative, as we've seen biblically. It's imperative we have the right people in our life 
and that we delete the wrong people from our life. But above all else, the number one relationship that I have to develop is my relationship with God. Saints, you need him to do any and everything. You don't just need him to do quote unquote spiritual things. You need him to help you with it all. You need him at work. You need him in traffic. You need him in the kitchen. You need him walking in your neighborhood. You need him while you scrolling. You need him while you filling out that application. You need him while you're parenting. You need him while you're making goals. You need him when you're trying to strengthen your relationships. You need him for it all. The problem is we, we try to put God in this Sunday box. We think that opening up the Bible is some religious box that I need to check. We think that spending time in prayer is some chore on our list of to do. We don't realize that we need him. We need him. The Lord is pushing us to stop moving in our own strength. Ever since we was little, we was told to be strong. Boys are told to man up. Girls are told to be independent. We are told to rely on ourselves to get to where we're trying to get to. You think that's accidental? Compare how many times you've been taught from family or from the culture to move on your own as compared to how many times you've been taught to kneel to the Father to find your success. You need God for it all. When Mary showed up and Elizabeth received the Holy Spirit, that was a God-ordained moment. They didn't meet up for Bible study. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't meeting up to go and have a prayer time together. They just were showing up to catch up. And they needed God to catch up. 
And you know what happened? God came right in the middle. And what was inside Elizabeth leaped because of what was inside Mary. But it was God in the middle of the whole process. Is God in the middle of your whole process? Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.